Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This episode, we're joined by Mike Whalen of Northern Virginia, an award-winning photographer. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming on the Garden DC podcast. Um, obviously, well, it's my pleasure. <laughs> I was going to say, obviously, you work in a visual medium, and this is an auditory medium, so we'll have to do some describing of some photos, but hopefully um, our listeners will follow some of the links and, and check out the photo show that we'll be talking about. Yeah, yeah. If um, anyone wants to see my work, uh, they can go to my Facebook page, which is open to the public, and it's just Mike Whalen, W-H-A-L-E-N. And there's probably a few Mike Whalens out there, so just uh, find the one that uh, that uh, you know looks like me. <laughs> that has photography <clears throat> and who lives in Northern Virginia. That then you yeah, exactly. then you found the right one. So we'll talk about some other places to find your photos in a bit. Um, but first, um, I want to talk about Washington Gardener. Our magazine holds an annual photo contest. And Mike, you are one of those who always places highly. So usually we have about, I would say, 50-something photographers enter, give or take, every year. And you're allowed to enter multiple photos up to 10 across four different categories. And then from that, we do a first through third and an honorable mention in each of those four categories. And then one grand prize winner that's not in any of the categories. So that's like a bonus grand prize winner. And that means 17 total winners per year out of those 300 plus plus images. Um, so it's, it's tough competition. I will say that. So congratulations. It, yes, yes, it is. Uh, it is. And uh it's uh, certainly surprised me that I've been able to uh, hang in there for uh, as long as I have. I think uh, it was about 2009 or 2010 uh, that I got found out about the Washington Gardener Magazine photo contest through my photo club that I joined in 2009. And uh, it sounded interesting. I figured, well, I'll just, you know, take some pictures around the yard here and submit them, and you never know what happens. And lo and behold, the first year, I ended up getting a, um, a cover, which just blew me away because I was just getting started in photography uh, yeah. about that time. So mm-hmm. I just uh, started as a novice. But since then, uh, I've uh, been sucked in hook, line, and sinker into this <laughs> fabulous art and now since since about 2008 or 9 it's occupied it's been like a full-time job i don't do it for money i do it just because i love doing it and um it really doesn't matter uh if anyone else likes anything i take but as long as i like it i'm the i'm the first person that has to be be pleased you know with the the results so and i think everybody should do the same you mm-hmm. don't try to don't try to take a picture or create a picture for somebody else you do it for yourself because you love it 
yeah, that's what I would say. That was what makes it an art form, you know, versus say commercial photography for hire. Um, mm-hmm. So I was gonna say that um, the listeners should know that I do not judge the contest, and thank goodness I don't, <laughs> because as I'm receiving the entries and checking them in. Almost every image that I open up and check that it's loading correctly and that the file is not damaged or anything is just phenomenal. Like one image after the other. And so we have an outside photo judge judge this for us. And one of our um, requirements is that it has to be taken in a s- area that's within the D.C. kind of watershed, like 100 miles north or south of the U.S. Capitol or east or west so draw a big circle around the u.s capital and that's where it has to be taken and that it has to be taken in the last calendar year so this year is a great year to be taking photos and collecting and starting to sort through them for what you might want to enter for next year Um, because i'm always uh told by my judge that she's looking for all seasons to be represented Mm -hmm. Um, because the tendency, of course, is to go out in April and May and take tons of garden and flower pictures. But there's, you know, beauty in all seasons. Yeah, that's certainly true. And it's nice that you have different categories, too. Mm-hmm. So we have our quickly, I was just going to say our four categories are um, small wonders, which are like the macro close ups of a plant part. And then there's garden vignettes, which are groupings in the garden could be like a watering can, you know, with some flowers around it, or it could be just a natural vignette view. Um, So a mid-range shot. And then there's the landscape, which is garden views. And then the fourth category, which we created the second year of the competition is garden creatures, because what was happening is uh, garden creatures were in the vignettes and the small wonders category competing against plants and of course, anything with eyeballs <laughs> outcompetes um, anything with chlorophyll. We found out, so we separated out the garden creatures and made that a fourth category. Yeah, Kathy, is one ca- uh, category more popular than the others? I would say the two that get the most amount of entries and kind of equal amounts are the garden creatures and the small wonders, the the macro oh, shots. Yeah. So. There's people who specialize in in wildlife photography, of course, and they might enter all 10 of their photos in that one category. And then there's others who just do a smattering, you know, two here, three here, my favorite, you know, couple in this category. And then there's also those who specialize in the macro and just, you know, all their shots are tight close-ups of plants, Um, usually flower flower close-ups. And do you give any guidelines to your judge at all about uh, what to look for? Or do you just leave it up to the judge to decide uh, which ones get award in that category? Yeah, we, we leave any, it up, any... I was going to say we leave it up to her. Basically, uh, she's been trained with the county and state fair photography to be more of a technical judge. Um, mm-hmm. But then we also ask for creativity. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, I guess, the one common it factor that you know you know it when you when you see it you know there's like yeah sure there's the ones that just have personality or the twinkle in their eye um so mike i was just looking at our 
10th annual photo contest had one of my favorite photos from you, which won first place. And then we made it our cover shot, um, which was the young Fox. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Well, I'm fortunate to live in a, in a wooded area and uh, we do have quite a number of foxes here. And um, I have a bird feeder in the backyard. That's another one of my things that I've photographed uh, quite frequently are birds. And uh, so I want to attract them. But the fox, believe it or not, will also eat seeds. And I came out and uh, it was eating the seeds underneath the bird feeder that fell to the ground. So I thought, hmm, you know what? Maybe I'll throw a few extras on the ground. And, and then uh, that one year, I think there was a family. And um, I had a little a little pup sleeping on the on the ground one day when I came out, which is so cool. But, um, but yeah, in the back, it's a lot of trees in the back and uh, we have a lot of uh, deer in the area too. So I try to plant things that the deer aren't going to eat. And I'm trying to think of the uh, Helleborus. Is that, mm -hmm. um, that a, a flower? Yep. Uh, so yeah, we've got a lot of those planted and some uh, Pyrus japonicas bushes and whatnot. And I remember taking that picture of the fox as he was underneath the bird feeder and kind of looking out from the, uh, from the Helleborus uh, plants. And um, he was looking, looking right at me. Now I was behind a glass door, so I don't know if he actually saw me or not. But, you know, they're a little skittish. And, uh, but he was probably no more than about uh, 30, 40 feet away, which was kind of cool because I could get in pretty close so you took that through a glass door mm -hmm. wow that's even more amazing yeah, yeah I, I think you know with the photo bounce and stuff you obviously weren't using a flash I assume no no mm -hmm. no you know with with wildlife I mean as you can imagine a lot of it is very skittish particularly you know foxes deer the those kind of uh wildlife but even even uh, birds Butterflies can be skittish too, and I photograph all sorts of animals in the in the garden. And um, some of the the bugs don't mind too much, particularly the bumblebees. I mean, you can get right up next to them, and they're they have a job to do. You know, they don't care about you so much. <laughs> but butterflies can be a little skittish. I'm trying. I one of the things I do too is I raise monarch uh, butterflies, and uh, in the past. I've had very good luck, except the last two years, it's been pretty slow. And it seems to be starting out slow uh, this year as well. I think uh, the most I've ever released was about 60 or 70 in a, in a given season. And, uh, and that's really cool. I read a number of years ago that, uh, that they're, I don't know if they're on the endangered list yet, but they're certainly headed that way. And I'm doing my part to grow milkweed in the in the garden and try to attract them and we do expect to have have some this year it's still a little early though so uh, we'll we'll wait and see what uh what july and august brings mm -hmm. yeah and it was a long cool spring so maybe it's just a few weeks behind on there mm -hmm. and so another one of your winning uh wildlife pictures i think it was in last year's competition was a box turtle feasting on mushrooms and that was taken. In, oh yeah, that, that was taken also in your home garden. Right. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. We have, as I said, a lot of shade in the area, and uh, so that, you know, if we have a damp 
spring or summer, uh, then um, the mushrooms grow. I haven't had too many uh, this year so far. I was kind of surprised by that, but I think that maybe the spores are in the mulch and you get mulch mm-hmm. from different places every year and and uh, sometimes you hit it and sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes, uh, but, you know, it's early yeah. yet. Yeah, and sometimes they're coming up from mycorrhizae under the soil. Depends on what you have growing. So you never mm. know. Um, so uh, this year's show, um, because of COVID, of course, we didn't have a, our usual opening reception. Um, and it was hung a few weeks later than we had planned. But it's up now for anybody to go and view at uh, Meadowlark Botanical Gardens in Vienna, Virginia. So we have a big art display wall of the 17 winners. Um, and that's hanging up through July 30th. And you have two winners this year out of the 17, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one was a, a butterfly on a butterfly bush. It was a uh, one of the tiger swallowtails, the yellow ones. And they're, they're the most common butterflies uh, in, um, in the Northeast. And you know, it's funny, I have not seen very many of those yet this year. And last summer, I have uh, these purple coneflowers growing next to my driveway and um, on a long stretch there. I think one day I walked out and there were like 25 or 30 of them all feasting on the on the coneflowers. And it, it just blew my mind that there were so many. So I'm hoping that uh, they're just late again this year too, like the monarchs, but you never know. But yeah, so that that one, people go to Meadowlark and see it. Um, I took that on a butterfly bush in the late afternoon, and there was a little bit of sunlight coming through the trees in the, in the back there. And it kind of gave it a more of a, a golden uh, look to it, which uh, was kind of an unusual, but... Uh, and that is one thing about photography, though, that that you're trying to accomplish. And I'm sure you, that your judge has seen thousands of, of pictures. And the thing that she's looking for is something that's a little different. Mm-hmm. And that's something to keep in mind when your listeners are out there photographing things, is to try to get a different perspective on what you're photographing. I mean, there's a lot of great flowers out there. There's no, no question about that. But, um, but most judges and other photographers have taken uh, zillions of, of flower pictures. So you need to make yours stand out a little bit. Um, that's one piece of advice I would, I would give to the budding photographers out there. Look for something a little different. Uh, now, the other one, that made it in. One was the butterfly picture. And the other one was a picture of um, milkweed pods. Actually, mm-hmm. it was, uh, I think they call it butterfly weed. And mm-hmm. it's, it produces these orange flowers that I didn't realize this when we got those, that monarchs actually will lay eggs on the leaves and the caterpillars will eat those so butterfly weed is actually a form of milkweed maybe you can tell Mm -hmm. me if i'm off base on that or not but yeah uh, it's in the asclepius family 
So it's in the same mm. family as the common milkweed, but it has kind of that orange comb of flowers. I would describe it on the top. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're just beautiful. And uh, all the, the, the bees and butterflies love those. In fact, uh, they're just, they're, mine are in full bloom right now, and they're mm -hmm. just covered with all sorts of insects. Uh, but anyway, the, back to the photo, the other photo hanging in Meadowlark are uh, a seed pod from the butterfly weed that had, it was in, taken in the fall, and it just burst and it was expelling seeds out in, um, in every direction. And there were still a few left and the old pod is getting a little gray and dingy. Uh, apparently that had some appeal to the judge. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, that's the, the point I made earlier about if you're taking pictures and you want to enter your photos into the contest, look for something a little different. Now, I don't know what it was that caught my eye about that, but it was definitely different. And I think maybe that's what caught the judge's eye. And hence, uh, it was awarded. Oh. And I was going to say that you probably take hundreds, if not thousands of photos uh, every year. So weaning it down to the top 10 that you enter for that you consider your top 10 every year um, that's got to be a, a hard job. Oh, you know what? That is such a tough job because you're right. I do take a lot of pictures. And uh, my philosophy about that is that, well, if I take a whole bunch of pictures, I'm, I'm going to up my chances of getting, uh, you know, one or two good ones. And, and that's really the tough part is, uh, is sorting through those when you have so many that are similar of the same thing, mm -hmm. picking the one that, really stands out because it may be just slightly different than the others. But some of the things that I look for is uh, for a sharp subject. And your background can be a little blurry. That's okay. Uh, in fact, in most cases, you want your background to be kind of non-distinct uh, or you mm -hmm. don't want it to attract attention. And a, a good photograph has a very clear subject in it. And that subject needs to be identified by you know, the, the, the person viewing your, your image. And you've got to let them know that's why you took that picture because of that subject. And I see so many pictures where I look at them and I wonder, what did they want me to see? Mm -hmm. where, where, what is the subject here? And if you have too many items in your photograph, uh, then people may get confused as to what it was you wanted them to see. Uh, if you're taking a picture of a field of flowers, that's beautiful. But you want to try to have a focal point in that field. Maybe, uh, let's say, in sunflower field, maybe one of, one of the sunflowers stands a little higher than others well that's your hope. and make sure that that's nice and sharp and clear and preferably well lit too obviously mm -hmm. photography is based on light and you always want your subject to be sharp and probably better lit than um than uh you know the rest of the photograph mm -hmm. and do you um do much post editing of the photos besides cropping um, say if 
the face of one of the wildlife uh, creatures that you took a photo of was a little in shade. Would you lighten that up in Photoshop, say? I do a, a fair amount of post-processing, mostly in Lightroom. Adobe okay. makes a, a, a pair of products called uh, photo, uh, Lightroom and Photoshop. And it's, I think, $10 a month to buy the subscription. And that is just an incredibly uh, complex package for, for editing photos. And uh, Adobe's been at it for, oh, I don't know, 30 years or more. Mm -hmm. So they've had lots of time to add, add a lot of bells and whistles, and it just keeps getting better and better. So uh, I do post-process, but the main reason that I uh, post-process is if, if things are distracting in the image, like things that are bright spots that you don't want your viewers to see, you kind of you want to tone those down a bit. And if your image is flat, meaning that the light's the same over the whole thing or the, the, the whole thing is uh, the, the same sharpness, everything is sharp, then you might want to go in and just uh, tweak certain areas a little bit to, to bring out, uh, to, to help your viewer pick the subject. So, yeah, I do a bit of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I know your rules, mm -hmm. you, you don't want things replaced in, in the images. And you don't necessarily want too much post-processing. I know those are stated in your rules. Mm -hmm. And for the, the pictures that I submit to the photo contest, I haven't done that much to them. And I certainly don't add anything. And I might tone things down. And if there's some, you know, very minor distractions in there, uh, then I might go ahead and, you know, just take those out. But they're usually minor things. Yeah, our, our rules allow kind of what you see through the lens. So, you know, color correction or lighting um, and, of course, cropping and eliminating, say, you know, a stray hair or something that might be in there. Um, but I think what we're looking for is more natural versus, say, uh, artistic, like with mm -hmm. you know, lots of layering. Some people will, you know, Photoshop extra flowers say onto a shrub <laughs> so oh yeah, yeah well that sort sure, of thing is, uh, is what we're trying to avoid so yeah the artificial no, i don't i don't do any of that uh, to uh, mm -hmm. the pictures submit to mm -hmm. the uh, washington gardner photo contest and you mentioned um so that one strong focal image and i've definitely learned that lesson over the years for our cover photo um even when it's not the the month that we display the contest winners is um, showing a, a whole garden full of flowers is, you know, pretty and nice. But usually when I pare that photo down and just have that one strong image of that one thing uh, makes a much better cover. So mm -hmm. that's, that's great advice. And I was going to say, I think your first time you won, it was a hummingbird against a kind of mid or dark gray background um, that was blurred out. And I remember... Right that everybody was like, what's, you know, did you hold up a piece of paper to, behind the hummingbird? How did you get that? How did you get that, <laughs> oh, that, that gray background? Well, that's really interesting because uh, it was uh, on some lantana that was in a flower pot uh, right next to my asphalt driveway. And the gray was the actual asphalt driveway <laughs> in the back there. But because that was a little further away, it, got, it was blurry. So it didn't distract 
you know, if you had a real sharp picture of that uh, asphalt background in there, that would have definitely detracted from the image. But since it was all kind of constant and grayed out, uh, the the on the hummingbird, and that was that was really a stroke of luck. I I didn't try to take that picture, but I happened to be out in the yard with my camera, and I was walking next to that flower pot with the lantana next to the the driveway, and this little gal or fella just came up there. I guess it was a, it was a, um, a a female because the males have the red throat mm -hmm. and the um, the females do not. Um, but uh, and it, it I couldn't have been more than three or four feet away from it, and it didn't mind me being there at all. So I just started snapping away. Now, is it your normal routine to go out every day in the garden with your camera or do you just look for special lights or just when you're in the mood? Well, I'll tell you, if I was uh, if I had nothing else to do, I would be out taking pictures every day and probably, uh, you know, as, as much as I could, because every time you snap that shutter you become a better photographer. And the reason why is because once you take that picture, you get it on your computer and you have to look at it and then you have to make some decisions on it. And every time you do that and you scrutinize your own work, you, you start to understand what you like better about one picture versus another. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think a key part of being a successful photographer has to be with composition of images. And by composition, what I mean is what are the elements in the photograph? And the more elements that you have in it, the more complex that image becomes. And therefore, the harder you have to work to have all of those elements kind of in the right place or kind of helping one another rather than distracting from your main subject. And uh, just as a simple rule, when you snap the shutter, you're really taking two pictures. You're taking your subject and you're taking the background. Uh, and most people don't look hard enough at the background to, to begin to get, they're so enamored with the, the main subject that they forget that there's a background, but but then when you look at it later on your computer, you know, after the moment's gone, you, I, I look at so many pictures. I still do this. Said, oh, gee, why didn't I move over three inches and, and retake it with this better background? Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind when you're taking pictures. Don't just look at your subject. Look at the background. Look at the elements in there. Try to simplify if possible. And sometimes, you know, walking a little distance or maybe from a different perspective, maybe down low or up high um, to, uh, to, to take things out is always better than having too much in your picture because you're responsible for everything in there. And uh, it, the less you have is better. It's, it's, it's a simple rule. Simple is, is, uh, <laughs> is always a, make the better picture most of the time. Yep. It's that, that kiss principle that, that keep it simple, stupid, mm -hmm. <laughs> that always works better. Um, so I was going to ask you about your equipment. So in our photo contest, we asked the photographers to list what they took 
the photo with and if they used any special lenses or natural light, which most of them do. And then I've noticed a trend in the last few years of the contest, which we've had for, I think, 14 years now, um, in more and more iPhone use. And then that iPhones are actually the photos being submitted are placing higher or, you know, even getting first place, some of them. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I have a theory about that. I don't know if it's right or not, but um, I've noticed on your covers, the ones that are you call the grand prize, the ones that make the spring edition cover, uh, they all tend to be very sharp mm -hmm. uh, front to back. And here's the thing. If you want everything in your image to be in focus, you use a camera with a smaller sensor in it. And a phone, because of its size, obviously has a smaller sensor in it than, let's say, uh, a DSLR or a big mirrorless or a full frame camera or something like that. Uh, so the bigger, the bigger the sensor, the easier it is to blur the background. And that's why wedding photographers and portrait photographers typically use a large sensor uh, what we call a full frame mm. camera. And because that blurs out the background and wedding photographers, of course, they want all your attention to be on the bride or the, the mm -hmm. you know, the, the family. And, and they don't really care that much about the background, which can be distracting coming back to that other point I made earlier. Uh, so yes. So the reason that uh, the iPhone and just camera phone uh, photography has gotten better over the years is because everything tends to be sharp. Hmm. Now, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't understand that. I, I personally like to have pictures with, with blur in the background. Um, the other, the other thing is uh, if you're going to take pictures with a phone, then you, you need good light. Mm -hmm. The bigger the sensor the you can get better pictures in when the light is not so good you know when it's dark out really early in the morning or or later in the in the evening when the sun has gone down you probably don't want to take phone pictures uh, at those that times those times of days uh, of the day because uh, of um, the sensor will produce a noisier picture and it won't look as good but um but yeah that's an interesting uh phenomenon that uh that the iphone pictures are uh, are um, kind of moving up uh -huh. uh, th th there's two other things that could affect that and that is number one there's a whole lot more people taking pictures with phones yep. these days so you probably have a lot more people submitting images who that's that's their camera that's what they use and the phone cameras these days have gotten so good that they're actually uh, stressing out the, the big cam camera manufacturers like Nikon and Canon and Sony and uh, Olympus and Fuji and a few others. As a matter of fact, you heard this or not, but I read yesterday that Olympus has decided to get out of the camera business. Can you wow. believe that? <laughs> That's news to me. <laughs> yeah. That's wow. big news. Mm -hmm. But they've had losses over the last three years. Mm -hmm. And why? Why is that? 
uh, all the camera manufacturers have not done well in the last five years or so because of the uh, phone cameras have gotten so good. Mm -hmm. And one of the latest innovations uh, with, with those cameras, uh, with those phone cameras, is the fact that they, they're starting to use artificial intelligence in the algorithms. So you're not really getting the picture that a, a regular camera would. It's, it's pictures that, uh, that have been enhanced by the phone itself. Okay. One example of that is, you know what I was saying earlier about uh, the smaller the sensor, the, 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 the larger the, the uh, focal uh, distance. And um, so that's why more, more of the pictures are in focus because of the small sensor. Well, the camera manufacturers, um, excuse me, the phone manufacturers now are artificially uh, determining what's the background and what's the subject. And mm -hmm. then they're blurring part of the image yeah. in the software of the phone. Mm -hmm. and, and it's getting pretty good. It's, it's actually getting pretty good now. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's the, that's the goal, right? To keep producing a better and better looking picture because they'll, they'll sell more phones that way. Yeah, the new, uh, especially the iPhone 11 portrait mode, um, where you can, where it can recognize a face and you can tell it this is the subject mm -hmm. and blur the background. And you can uh, actually dial the amount of blur you want um, and on yeah. a scale. Yeah, is, they're getting real is, That's pretty incredible now. And I always say that the best camera, of course, is the one that's in your pocket at the time. So, that's true. Um, so just because you have your phone on you all the time, you know, you happen to pass that beautiful flower that, you know, squirrel looking down at you from the tree. That's the, that's the one you're going to take the pictures with. So that just yeah. has more opportunity. And I have to confess that on garden tours up until last year, I was carrying a digital camera in one hand and my iPhone in the other. And this last year I stopped bringing the digital camera. I'm just shooting everything with iPhone. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's really uh, really an interesting uh, evolution of of cameras, and who knows where it's going to go. And the, the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is, the cameras on the phones are good enough for most things, mm -hmm. and you always have it with you. So. Yep, exactly. Uh, and then speaking of subjects for and what's with you and around during this. COVID spring that's obviously limited many of the garden tours we can go on or public gardens that we could visit. Um, but I noticed mo many, if not almost all of your entries are taken in your own home garden. Um, so it doesn't have to be a professional garden tour or professional public garden that you're taking your photos in to, to capture those winning images. Right. Well, uh, you know, this is the easy uh, photo tour that I can do. I mean, uh, I walk outside and surrounded by uh, nature and beauty and a lot of flowers that I've planted over the last 20 years that I've lived here. And um, I just uh, get lost in the yard. And with the COVID problem, that's what I do practically every day. And I'll walk around and I'll try to uh, find new ways to take uh, pictures of the same old flowers. One of the interesting things that I've I've been doing lately is I've been uh, either in the morning or or the late afternoon when the sun is low in the sky, 
instead of taking the picture, um, you know, with the sun over my shoulder in the back, doing the opposite. And this is really cool on leaves and flowers, which when the sun shines through the leaves, you can see all of the veins in in the leaf and and the flower. uh, The flowers tend to look like they're, you know, just backlit. Mm -hmm. Glow and... Uh, you don't have to be looking into the sun to have them glow. I mean, you can be looking, you know, at the flower kind of in the direction of, of the ground, but yet the light is relatively uh, low in the sky is getting enough light. You don't have to, you don't have to be looking at the sun. You can be looking at an angle such that you're not having the sun wash out your photo. Mm-hmm. And that I, I've produced uh, some, some interesting uh photos doing that in fact the one on my facebook page right now the profile is one of a young nandina plant very common uh that had some new growth on it i took it yesterday as a matter of fact and they're very symmetric plants the new growth on those they have they seem to have branches that come out on both sides struck me i i like the symmetry and it was maybe, oh, I don't know, eight or 10 inches uh, from, from base to the, the top. But it was in the late afternoon and um, the sun was just shining through those leaves and the stem and it made it glow in, in such a cool way that I just couldn't resist. And, mm. uh, and I've been doing that with, with a lot of different flower pictures now. Um, that is using the sun to backlight them rather than always having the sun to your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't always a flattering look. <clears throat> True. Um, oh, I was going to say that my, one, some of my favorites to do that technique with are at the Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens in DC mm-hmm. um, to do that with lotus leaves to, to get under yeah. on a bright sunny day and get under the leaf because they are such tall plants that it's, you know, yeah. you don't have to kneel in the mud, actually, <laughs> since so, so many of them are growing over your head that it's so fun to just yeah. step under a leaf and try to see the veining through it. Well, speaking of which, I think that the lotuses uh, down there are starting to bloom right now. So mm-hmm. uh, probably any time over the next several weeks would be a good time to go. And, I, you know, I'm debating whether or not I should go down there or not. I've been there every year for like the last mm-hmm. 10, 12 years, and uh, it's it's just, uh, you know, it's become an, an absolute rite of passage, you know, just to go down there. Same with the, the cherry blossoms, which mm-hmm. I didn't do this year because I wanted to avoid the crowds. But I think Kenilworth, probably uh, you, can, you can stay away from too many people. And if you go there early in the morning, it's probably not that crowded. Yeah, and they just announced that they are reopened to the public um, and that they're not, their hours now are more limited, 8 to 4. So they're definitely recommending people come on a weekday morning when it's usually the least crowded. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's the best time to go. Yeah, well, I, I will probably go down there uh, this mm-hmm. year. And, uh, and- I, you know, I'm, I'm going through withdrawals right now. <laughs> Not being able to get out too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and w- do you know what's happening at Green Spring? I know a number of people from our club have been mm-hmm. walking through there. And, uh, yeah, so the, the grounds are open at Green Spring Gardens. Um, 
but the buildings are not as yet. So, but mm-hmm. anybody can go down and, and walk the grounds and of course take photos. And I would say another um, favorite location for flower photographers in the DC area is the McKees Besher wildlife management area in Poolsville, Maryland. Oh. Um, yeah. That's definitely, Sunflowers. oh yeah. So those are, they plant several fields just of solid rows of sunflowers, usually tall varieties. One year it was more like a hip high variety that was not a hit with the photographers <laughs> when they, yeah, when they be... planted those shorter daffodils. They like to go out and bring a ladder and be able to look, you know, a big depth of field. Um, right. But of course, the top of them. yeah. yeah. The, of course, the, the whole point of the sunflower plantings is not for photographers or for your Instagram selfies, uh, but for attracting wildlife for the hunters because it is a wildlife management area. Right, right. And uh, right after the sunflowers, uh, you know, are past their prime, there's a lot of birds up there, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, um, and I have not actually gone birding up there. And, and I mean, to, you know, take pictures of birds, but some folks in my club who are very, uh, which is Northern Virginia Photographic Society, I got to put in a plug for them. I've been a member since 2009. I was a president in 2013. And uh, if you're interested in photography and learning more about it, the Northern Virginia Photographic Society is a great resource to, mm-hmm. to join. And uh we, we stopped uh, having live meetings for the time being back in March, and we went to Zoom meetings. And let me tell you, in some respects, Zoom is, is better because you get a front row seat. You don't have to drive to the club. And the, and the image quality over Zoom of the pictures that are shown are, is just first class. Mm-hmm. And it's better than sitting in the, in the back because you know, sometimes uh, we get almost 100 people come to these meetings and if you're sitting way in the back and looking at the projector up front, you can't see very well. But on your own computer screen at home, you can see just fine and all the details are there. So anyway, that's uh, I just wanted to put a plug in for oh, yeah. UPS. And at the club meetings, do uh, members share for critiques? Do you have uh, featured speakers or, or what's a typical meeting like? Well, uh, there we have meetings every Tuesday and they're typically four Tuesdays in a month. And uh, so the first Tuesday, we have program speakers come in where we bring in an outside uh, photographer professional to talk about a subject. So, you know, the first Tuesday is that. The second Tuesday, we have what we call education and training, where we take some of the more advanced photographers in the club, and they'll present to uh, the rest of the members what you know, whatever is, uh, you know, an important, whatever that person is particularly good at. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he'll talk about that for an hour or so. And the third Tuesday is competition night and people can bring in prints and uh, or upload a digital. Uh, although while the COVID thing is happening, we're only going to allow digitals. We don't want to be okay. handling any prints in the process. And you, it's hard to do with, you know, over Zoom meetings too. So uh, we're <laughs> doing that. And then on the uh, fourth Tuesday, we have club members who uh, are invited to get up and make presentations of their own work. So that's kind of cool. And I'm, 
there are three levels all the way from novice who are just, you know, learning camera skills all the way up to intermediate and advanced photographers. And the competitions are, are um, uh, by class, by your skill level. Hmm. Uh, but we see a wide variety of things. People who travel and, you know, in our affluent area in the DC area, people are traveling all over the world and, you know, I've, we some of us live vicariously by where the other people go, and and generally the image quality on these is just fantastic. We've seen pictures from all four four corners of the world, and one of my my uh, places that I want to go is Greenland. Hmm. But well, there are still icebergs up there, and that's something that uh, several people have presented. And we get a lot of people who go to Africa and go on the safaris and. Iceland and Europe and uh, Scandinavia, Antarctica, right. everywhere. I mean, it's sky's the limit on, <laughs> on where people go. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's such an ambitious meeting schedule. I, I thought my garden club meetings monthly was, was tough enough, <laughs> but weekly, wow. Yeah. But yeah, that's well, we have, a dedicated hobby. Yeah, we have a big board. Uh, there's, there's a, a, it's all volunteer. But there's probably about 25 volunteers who are very active in the club. And I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, volunteering uh, for, uh, let's see, about 10 years now. And uh, the la- what I did last year is I developed a new website for the club. My background is in uh, computer science. So that's what I did for my career. But I'm retired now. So uh, uh, I don't particularly like to do that i'd rather take pictures but uh it's something i can do and the club was in need of a mm-hmm. of a better website so and for our listeners um how about you share that website address for the club okay sure that is nvps like northern virginia photographic society nvps.org org and uh, yeah, and in fact, we have one of the one of the menu items there are our galleries, and there are just hundreds and hundreds of pictures that our members have taken as far back as maybe 10, uh, 12 years ago in various categories, the, the competition winners. We've even had Nature Visions pictures. Uh, uh, we have uh, what we call portfolio pictures, one of our one of our activities is uh, f- for members who join the portfolio project is instead of producing one picture, you produce a, a, a series of, of pictures. And typically that number is 12 to 15 hmm. that all have a common subject. I've done those on abstracts and, you know, backyard critters and uh, waterfalls, stairways. Uh, I think I've done, I've probably got uh, 10 different portfolios up there for every year i've been a member of the club well that Uh, amount of of photos stored on the website brings up my storage question um so that's obviously a lot of memory for the for the website to store but what about your individual uh photo storage do you put that up to the cloud do you have backup hard drives how do you store yours well, hard drive storage now is very cheap. And I, I have, uh, every time I run out of storage, I'll go out and I'll get a bigger hard drive and then I'll take everything on the thing that's filled up and put it on the bigger one. And 
I think now I may have like a 12 terabyte drive. Wow. And, and I, when I'm telling you storage is cheap, I think I might have paid two or $300 for that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, 10 years ago, it was probably 10 times that cost if you could even get it. And uh, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, what I, that, that's where I would put my pictures. We use a, a service called SmugMug. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that, yep. but it's a very popular uh, photography site. And I think it costs our club $72 a year to... Oh, that's- uh, that's very and, and reasonable. Yeah. And you put unlimited number of pictures up there. I That's think we terrific. probably have roughly about a gigabyte of pictures, but and you know, so, they're all all hand selected and mm-hmm. we limit the size. You know, you know these things aren't going to be gigantic. They just have to show on a on a computer screen. So you can, you know, keep the size down to a reasonable size. Yeah, that that's a good point that you're doing digital images, not not huge format. And then um, in that storage, if I said, Mike, could you give me a picture of a water lily that's, you know, has a bee on it? Um, how do you index, I guess, is the question. Yeah, putting that's, your, that's, putting your finger on that photo. That is an excellent question there. And Lightroom gives you about five different ways that you can index your pictures. And I have to confess, I don't do that as often as I should, because as I mentioned earlier, I'd rather be out taking pictures. And I have many more pictures that I've taken that I haven't even looked at yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, talking about from five years ago, even. Uh, So I don't sort sort them and and index them. But but if you were going to do that, then yes, you could. and, And if you're using Lightroom or other programs as well, uh, you could add keywords to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of the the struggles <laughs> of a lot of photographers is you taking so many pictures and you're like, I remember taking that one, but what file is it in? Where did I store it? Um, and I think one of the things we're going to see um, coming out of iPhone in the near future is it's going to be automatic keywording. Like it will recognize what's in that photo for you. Um, it's already mm-hmm. partially yeah. doing searches on Facebook and the iPhone and iCloud. If I just put in, say, the word horse um, and pulling all the images that would have a horse on my phone. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, Lightroom does something like that with people. It'll go through all your, your photos and, and pull out every single one that has a person's face in it it'll recognize the face i wish they did that for other subjects or you could type in something Mm -hmm. like horse or uh, flower or you know fish or whatever Mm -hmm. that would be that would be really cool but that's coming i mean that's all part of uh, of uh, artificial intelligence which is making huge leaps and bounds in the photography industry Mm -hmm. and that's fine yeah that's fine if it can take that indexing work away, I'll be happy for it. But, you know, there is the downside. <laughs> yeah. So there is a lack of privacy to some of that coding. But um, I think the trade-off will be worth it for the indexing. So um, for our last few minutes, I wanted to circle back around to more gardening and flower discussion for our gardening audience mm-hmm. and um, ask what makes a plant or a flower photogenic in your opinion? Well, uh, first of all, uh, that, that comes back to the composition and 
you want to take a, a, if you're taking pictures of flowers, you generally want them to be pretty perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to have one with a, with a, you know, a broken stem or, or, you know, discolored leaves and flowers don't last that long. And especially if they're outside uh, because bugs land on them and they eat, eat the petals and whatnot. So, so number one uh, for flower photography, find uh, find flowers that have that are in really really good shape. Uh, next, uh, watch your background. Make sure that you don't have something distracting in there, like an, another flower uh, could be a distraction. Uh, particularly if it's not a very attractive one, or or maybe uh, you know a garbage can or something like that. Always look for those things. Think about your background as much as you're thinking about your subject. That's important. As I mentioned earlier, make sure that your subject that you've identified, and I say subject, I also mean your focal point, what you want your viewer to focus on, uh, is, is well lit and sharp. If you, and um, blurry pictures are, are just, don't even submit them anywhere. If your Mm-mm. subject is blurry, get rid of it throw it out and on a once you put it on your computer bring it up to one to one and if it looks blurry even at one to one i wouldn't consider using it uh the most important thing is have an interesting subject mm-hmm. and stay interesting you can take a common subject and make it more interesting uh by maybe looking at it from a different perspective i was at um, longwood a couple of years ago and I was able to just the way that their their stairways and some of their um, you know terracing was. I was able to get way down, and they had a bunch of flowers growing right next to this wall. I could get down, you know, go down the steps and look up at the flowers from the ground, like I was down on the ground at that perspective. I mean, no one knew that I w- I'd walked down a set of stairs and you know was looking up now, but it looked like I was down on the ground. And that's, that's what I mean by perspective. So I get some of the nice blue sky in the picture too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, uh, contrast is important. Uh, and what I mean by contrast, well, of course we think of contrast as, you know, black and white, that's extreme contrast. And, uh, but you can have contrast in colors too. And if, and obviously flowers, most of them are very colorful. So if you're, you're looking for good contrast, have complementary colors in there. Like what are the complementary colors? Well, orange and blue, for instance, you know, an orange flower against a blue sky uh, makes for a much nicer picture than an orange uh, flower against a white sky uh, and uh, green and, and um, red complementary, uh, yellow and purple. Mm-hmm. So if you, can, if you can be looking for those things and mix them together in, in your photograph, then that's really good. The other thing I would suggest too, is to try to have your, uh, your, your elements in your picture, part of the picture where they're visually communicating with one another. Generally pictures, just like a, you want them to balance out. If you walk into a, a room, like if you just moved into a house or an apartment, you put your furniture in, in your living room, you don't push it all up against one edge, right? You kind of spread it out and it's got some semblance to it. If you walk into a room and let's say a picture is is not sitting straight on the wall, your desire is to go straighten it. So, mm-hmm. so the same thing when you're taking a photograph, 
you want your items to balance out. You don't want to have a lot of your subjects near the edge. But here's an important point. You really don't want it smack dab in the middle either. Because what you want your viewer to do is look around that photograph and, um, and, and look at the whole thing rather than if you put it in the center, then it's kind of like a bullseye. Your eye is just drawn to the center and you're not going to look at the whole picture. So balance is good. Get it, get your subject off center a little bit and then have the other items. And if you're not um, uh, filling the frame with your subject, like a lot of macro people do, then you want your image, your, your elements in your picture to all support your subject to be kind of like, um, you know, sub elements of the picture. And then they, they can visually balance. They each have a, like a visual weight and make sure your picture is balanced. So those would be the tips that I would just give uh, off the top of my head. And uh, if there are some tips on the nvps.org website mm -hmm. on what makes a good picture. And if you go to the website and at the bottom of the menu, it says member menu, uh, click on that. And then go to competitions, and the little sub menu will open up, and you can look find um, uh, tips, composition tips, or uh, um, competition tips. And there's a couple of pages there of things you can do to make a better image, and also things to do that why judges throw pictures out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the, you, you want to, yeah, you know, most of these things are fairly obvious, but mm -hmm. it's, it's good to have them written down in one place. And I don't know about anybody else, but I have to see something multiple times before it sinks in. <laughs> if I read it and then I yep. got to go out and then I want to go out and practice it. And, mm -hmm. you know, the first time I'll forget about it. And the second time I won't do it. But after about 10 times, yeah, I remember that. Let me try that. Uh, so the, the best advice I can give anybody for getting doing better photography is take lots of pictures. As I mentioned earlier, every time you snap that shutter, you're becoming a better photographer. And then scrutinize them and sort them out. One of the things that I hate to see, and I see a lot of people do this, is they get particularly enamored with a subject and then they'll take 20 pictures of the same thing maybe at a slightly different angle and then they'll post all of them mm. and uh, you know pick your best one and show that and then have another subject and then pick your best one of that but don't don't show multiples of the same thing anyway that's my advice well thank you so, <laughs> so much mike i feel like i just took a master class in garden photography um so <laughs> i would say oh it's it's my pleasure This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
Plant Profile, Hardy Geranium Hardy Geranium, also known as Crane's Bill, is a perennial plant, not to be confused with the Zonal Geranium, which is an annual plant with a tall flower spike commonly seen in summer window box displays. The Hardy Geranium is easy to grow. It is useful in the garden as a ground cover and at the front of flower borders. It has an exceptionally long blooming period, and you could shear off the first flowers to encourage reblooming throughout the summer into fall. The flowers are attractive to both butterflies and bees, and even when not in bloom, the foliage itself is fragrant and is fairly evergreen in our planting zone. As a bonus, it is deer resistant. It prefers full sun to light shade and tolerates most soil types. The only care it ever really needs is a bit of watering during prolonged drought periods. Several varieties do well in our region. Two varieties that have pale pink flowers and that stay fairly low growing are Biocovo and Pink Summer. Roseanne is the world's best-selling hardy geranium. It produces large saucer-shaped violet-blue flowers with white centers. Another popular variety is Max Frey, which has bright pink flowers. Hardy geranium, you can grow that. Confessions of a Plant Hoarder Hi, my name is Kathy, and I'm a plantaholic. And I'm betting, if you're listening to this podcast, that you are one too. Do you have a garden already stuffed full of plants yet cannot resist the siren call of your local independent garden center, plant catalogs, or online nursery? As addictions go, this is a pretty harmless one. The only victim may be the older, now boring plants that you may neglect in the pursuit of the newest, showiest, most variegated, etc. I went out to my driveway holding area, aka the pot ghetto, just now and counted 53 potted plants awaiting putting in the ground. I'm not even including the bulb order I just placed, and I'm certainly not including the giant box of seed packs that I have squirreled away in a closet. Does that mean I'm not going to attend the two garden plant swaps this fall? Please. I'll tell myself the swaps are for paring down and winnowing my plant collection, but we all know I'll end up bringing home almost as much with me as I take to the swaps. Last summer at the GardenCom Garden Writers Association Symposium, as part of that event, we garden communicators have the opportunity to take home some trial plants. Some of these I have no business looking at. They are neither appropriate for our climate nor hardly fit in my luggage. Do I ever say no to any of these offerings? Of course not. That's why I'm the one on the flight home with two carry-ons stuffed with plants at my feet and no room to stretch out my legs. I would never occur to me to leave any of these babies behind in the hotel room. It's not as if I lack for any greenery. All the turf grass lawn is gone from my property and taken over by planting beds. I've already expanded into the sidewalk medians and started encroaching on the neighbors. This year, I added several big containers and planting boxes to my driveway area as well. Where can I expand to next? I'm looking up. Vertical is where it's at. And when you've got the ground covered, now I have eyes on anything that can support vines and climbers. 
This past summer, I bought a section of picket fence from a nearby salvage yard to grow Carolina jasmine and cardinal climber on and painted it purple. Next year, I plan to add more window boxes and to build a trellis out of some old river barch branches. When those are all covered, I will find new territory to explore and expand on. If there's a cure for this plant sickness, I don't want it. For this week's What's Blooming in the Garden segment, I thought I'd highlight some annual plant picks. My favorites to start from seed include Cosmos, Sunflowers, Cleome, Nicotiana, Marigolds of course, and Nasturtium. Some of my annual plants these last few years have actually acted as tender perennials and wintered over for me. Those include Dusty Miller, Verbena, Lantana, and Million Bells, also known as Calabracoa. I couldn't believe it when I saw that they were coming back after being neglected in containers all winter and are now blooming up a storm again. Some of my favorites for shade containers include Tyrrhenia and Persian Shield. And for sun, I'm partial to Nicotiana and geraniums. And those would be the zonal geraniums, not the hardy geraniums we talked about in our plant profile this week. There's an annual plant for every situation in your garden. If you have an empty space or container, throw some seeds in or take some cuttings or start them from a plant you bought at a local independent garden center. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine. <music>